Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Lachlan, Lauren and Justin. Welcome to The Grange Point. We have had 104 episodes. Two years. Weekly episodes. Many, many... um, listens and many many presenters 10,000 bad jokes many puns and lots of science this week we'll be celebrating two years of podcast recording and following up on some of the research we've discussed previously on the show so we've been doing this podcast now for two years and it seems like an awful long time since that's been going on now some segments have not made it past that two-year point our fabulous game shows uh, have not made much of an appearance do you remember them Lauren? Uh, a little bit. I remember when we were trying to sell three different things and you were trying to figure out which one was the truth. That's right. We uh, had Kickstarters that we tried to uh, convince people were real scientific Kickstarters and uh, which ones were fake. Unfortunately, some of our clever guests, which was mostly the same guest each week, really seemed to see through some of those early ruses. It was always Andrew, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Did you not remember those? Oh, no, I've, I've actually blocked them all out. <laughs> no, you gave some pretty good ones about uh, some hot air balloons and some children sending a hot air balloon into space. I think the problem was we gave Lachlan the actual real one and he had trouble making it be unrealistic. Yeah, I also remember we did um, a live show, didn't we? That's right, and we used the same concept in our live show for better effect, you know, with a bit more practice and polish and actually writing a script. But, but you know, that's the game show style element that we, we phased into this show and uh, then phased out... Uh, for a little bit, but, you know, people are still interested in game shows and shenanigans. That's definitely something we could bring back. We've sort of stuck a lot to sort of, we used to do, like, the, the City of Science of the Week and stuff like that, and from there we sort of deviated a bit. We had a bit of a freestyle episodes, just chatting about different topics and stuff like that. We keep it kind of structured, I guess. So the funny thing is, the City of Science thing wasn't until, like, halfway through the first year, I think, that we introduced it in. That's right. We, we often did at the start a famous scientist that we tried to pay attention to, and then we stopped doing that in favour of more just general conversation. But we wanted to bring back some more structure, so we added the City of Science as a way to showcase some of the research institutions and places that were doing the science. So I guess if we we're going to bring back any element for this 104th episode, I guess we should bring back the City of Science and say that the City of Science for this week is Melbourne, where this podcast is produced. Melbourne in Victoria in Australia. That's very cheesy. It's very cheesy, but it's also, like, we do a lot of good work in Melbourne. Um, we have some of the best biotechnology labs in the world. Um, what else are we good at? Well, biotech is one of our strong points, but also bionic inventions. So the bionic ear invented in Melbourne... Uh, the, the cochlear ear implant, which enables deaf people, or people with hearing impairments, to hear that kind of bionic innovation done in Melbourne, and a fantastic invention from Melbourne. In vitro fertilization, so IVF, helping people who have difficulty conceiving to have children, a lot of that groundbreaking research and first trials were done in Melbourne. First, in fact, the first test tube baby, the first IVF child, was in Melbourne. We've got the Australian Synchrotron. That's um, right. Located near Monash University allows to do things like uh, to see the crystal structure of chocolate and to see how HIV viruses actually puncture through cells and they grow spikes and stuff. Those are unrelated things, but both are pl- applications of the synchrotron. That's right, and that's one of the, the current really invigorating scientific institutions in Melbourne to go with many of the other things we're very good at.
We've had some pretty good themes. Like, um, I remember we had the kaiju episode. <laughs> that was a pretty great theme. In terms of actually what we covered, we talked about uh, monster movies, their impact on popular culture, and as well as their impact on psychology and what it said about us and what our fears were and how they changed through time. And that was really fascinating. And then everyone afterwards went and watched Pacific Rim, except for me, who stayed home and edited that episode together. <laughs> Well, we had a deadline, Justin. We had to stay at the deadline. Someone had to take one for the team. That's right. Someone had to get the thing done. And, you know, for the last two years, that's been you <laughs> a lot of the time. It was more impressive that we talked about Kaiju and the Pacific Rim movie without any of us actually seeing it. That was quite impressive when you put it in the grand scheme of things. You said that, like, we know what we're talking about half the time. No, we do. We do. We actually do. Another of my favorite episodes was um, the episode where we talked about sport. And managed to actually just talk about mathematics, like, the whole time. That's two of your favourite things, isn't it, Justin? They're pretty much is my entire favourite thing. Now, I just have to say, which episode? Because we've talked several times about sport. Whether or not that is the science of the World Cup. So when the when the fantastic FIFA World Cup was going on for football, or soccer, which had, like, three episodes about the science behind the World Cup. How about the Olympics episode? Yeah, that's right. We did the Olympics on the Winter Olympics. We've talked about hot pants. We've talked about facial structure on football players, like, the, meaning them to be more likely or less likely to be aggressive players or skillful players. We talked about the Olympics um, on other planets, if that was possible. We also talked about safety in sport and some of the challenges in protecting people and keeping keeping people safe whilst playing sport. Wasn't so, something about birthdays as well? Oh, that's right. That was with the, the football team. Uh, the likelihood of having your birthday, people's birthday, be on the same day, it's actually really easy to do with a football tournament. You can actually prove the mathematical theory that if you have enough people in a room, like 35 people or so, there'll be two people with the same birthday. This is important research. Yeah, and we proved it using the World Cup, which is fantastic. But the, um, there's a lot of different sports stories we've covered because sports is a great intersection between culture, science, mathematics, and practical application. So it's really interesting, as much as you may not like sport. I like the episodes where we just talked about my research. Well, yeah, we've done that a few times where we've talked about your areas of research. Well, it's because my area of research keeps changing, Justin. That's right. <laughs> it's not like you've had a fixed, stable interest <laughs> in anything. No, so we talked about um, biospectroscopy and how that applies to um, the study of cancer and stuff like that. We talked about cancer and immunology, and then we w went and talked on about um, respiratory allergies and stuff like that. So you guys have had a chance to sort of see my research career and how that's sort of taken off a little bit. And grown and changed as you've worked on different projects and gone through different areas. Unfortunately, my interests haven't really changed that much. You probably notice a fair amount of space or robotic stories filtering in there, and that's obviously due to my own impartiality for those kind of things. But we still explore the world of biology and chemistry, uh, mathematics and physics in plenty of detail as well through the rest of the show. We've also spent a lot of time talking about the brain and impacts of various different things, mostly because that's an area Lauren is really interested in. That and genetics and just the general biology like psychology area, which can be really cool and always constantly changing because the brain is such a huge area of study because we still have no idea. Well, basically what's going on there. That's right. You know, we, we pretty much have a couple of stories on the brain each week because things keep being discovered that we didn't know before. We should make that the update of every show, is things <laughs> have been discovered that we didn't know before. Because that's sort of how science and engineering work, right? Well, that's right. It's the entire the gradual process of review of ideas and say, well, okay, well, this is my idea about how I think, think things work. And then actually sitting down and going, okay, well, can anyone else prove the same thing? If they can, great. If they can't, well, what does that mean? And what do we do? And that's the whole idea of science. The peer review process is an important part of that. Some of my favorite episodes have been the noble and ignoble prizes because it's showing you know, how serious science can be versus how silly yet still scientific 
different research can be. Well, that's right. The the annual episodes on the Nobel Prize where we go through in detail the winners and why they deserve to win, the context of their developments and what they've achieved is a really important way of showcasing the classy, sophisticated end of science. But the Ig Nobel Prize is the unclassy, hilarious end of science where you find out things like dung beetles' rolling patterns of their, their dung can be used as a navigation aid. Like they use the stars as a GPS system for them navigating and vice versa. It's, How is that ignoble? That's actually really cool. That's right. No, no, like ignoble prize is not that the research is junk. It's that the research is strange. Hilarious. Strange. <laughs> I also like to our pop culture episodes. Like we've talked about giant robots and giant monsters more times than I can sort of count. We keep going back to robots and... Robots, dragons, mutants. fantasy creatures. Popular things like Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, The Hobbit. We've covered all of them and their applications for science, or lack thereof, or science imitating that popular culture. Especially The Hunger Games. If we actually got the scientists to get into a cage and like fight to the death for grants, I reckon we might get some pretty good research out of it. Well, that's true, but we're actually more talking about ideas that are present in The Hunger Games that actually have roots in scientific reality. That probably works too. Well, yeah, it's less less bloodshed and mayhem, more actual scientific progress. Have you ever tried to get a grant, Justin? There's lots of bloodshed. But that's where we have a, done a lot of interesting work in actually bridging the gap between what people are interested in in current society and what actual scientific research is doing. And that's one of, one of the great parts of this podcast is actually be able to make people realise that science isn't something for labs, but it's something all around them and even present in their favourite forms of culture, not just in Breaking Bad. So, Lachlan, what's your favourite story that we've talked about? One of my favourite episodes is one of our first ones. It was about um, phytoremediation, which is using plants to rehabilitate from toxic spills and stuff like that. Well, that's right. We're talking about the ways we can actually save toxic environments by giving them things and producing healthy ground again. And it actually, as well as cleaning up toxic waste, we also found that there were some really interesting applications and that they, the plants could be used to basically mine for gold from the water. Yeah, this was phenomenal. Basically, it was a way to print money or gold out of the ocean by using this garbage-cleaning fungus. And then we found out also that there's a specific type of bacteria that can only live on gold. There are also bacteria that can like um, excrete little gold nuggets from the surface of their bacterial masses. That was all pretty crazy. But um, I've sort of looked back over that, and I've done a couple of units in, like, environmental chemistry, and I've actually found out some more crazy things that bacteria can do. Well, hit me with them. Um, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to learn. There is a bacteria that eat rocks <laughs> and produce electricity. Wait, um, hang on. Uh, Eating rocks is okay. There's a lot of things that dissolve rocks. Hell, even water dissolves limestone. But producing electricity? Well, yeah, so basically... These guys are like little tiny oxidation reactors. They're like little tiny generators mm. in themselves. So nobody really understands the chemical processes behind this fully yet. But basically they eat calcium carbonate, which I think is like chalk. Yep, yep. Um, they can grow on chalk. Um, and if they're starved and they don't have any other sources of food, they can quite happily employ a catalytic process that will break down that chalk into carbon dioxide and um, calcium. And they'll release electrons as energy on their surface. And so you can actually connect a little tiny um, circuit up to those guys and they'll produce. That is phenomenal to think about, the power of bacteria eating rocks, rocking out, and producing enough electricity for them to power their own rocking amps. That's quite exciting. This is why extremophiles are so cool. So these are guys that can live in really insane environments, like really salty, really like volcanoes and stuff like that. Or outer space. Yes, or out of space, which is scary. 
um, and also just environments with little to no food. So these guys have managed to mutate to be like, well, there's no food. I'm gonna guess have... we're going to eat rocks for dinner. Yeah. And enjoy it. Yeah. Um, also, this ties into a previous episode with other extremophiles. Remember when we talked about the dark web bacteria? Oh, yes. Oh, the not, not dark the, web. Not the, the, the dark biosphere, sorry. Different to the dark web. It's like, um, it's, it's um, bacteria that you can't grow in a lab. So unculturable bacteria. They're oh. uncultured and uncouth, not enough to grow in your petri dish. They're too hip for that. And some mathematical calculations say that just like dark matter accounts for a 80% huge of the chunk universe. of the universe, they might account for 90% of the microbial biosphere, and we just can't ever culture them or look at them. You can't analyse what you can't measure and see. Because they die. So is this the ones that grow outside of labs, but just for some reason won't grow? In a lab. That's yep. right, yeah. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. But also an amazing way to learn, as we talked about more recently, about new antibiotics and new things you can explore and pursue that actually can help save lives that we haven't looked at before and we thought we'd run out of, but hey, if we turn around this corner, there's a whole new world of biological science we can explore. And they have lots of other novel applications. Like, there's a worm. Um, basically, you burn coal and you put this worm in, the worm will eat all the bad stuff. It'll eat the sulfites, the nitrites, and the carbon dioxide, and it will produce um, clean air. And everyone's like, what What the hell does this worm do? <laughs> um, and they actually, like, they had to crack the worm open, and it turns out that there are there's a unique microbial biosphere inside the worm's gut. And they're like, okay, that's fine. We'll just get the bacteria out of the worm and just grow the bacteria themselves. We'll make a massive bioreactor. It doesn't work. The bacteria refuse to live without their worm friends. So now they're having to develop a new bioreactor that include the worms. And this is basically a way to clean, um, I think it's certain types of gas um, and brown coal and make it a virtually um, emission-free energy source. That's one way to fight global warming with bacteria and worms. Did you say fight global warming with bacteria and worms? I did. Global warming, guys. You heard it here first. Watch out. I am the Kwisatz Haderach. So, Laura, what was one of your favourite episodes that we covered in the history of Lagrange Point? Here's the question, Justin. Are you asking me what's one of my favourite episodes, or what's something that I found interesting that we can talk about and how it's changed and explore on that? Because they're a bit two different things. Well, well hit me. Let's start the first one. What was okay. your favourite episodes, and then we'll cover the things that you want to talk about more. Um, my favourite episode was the one that we covered after the latest Hobbit movie came out. I think that was when we talked about it. We basically talked about dragons, because I love dragons very much. And I think we actually related to some groundbreaking work being done by the CSIRO on 3D printing dragons out of titanium at the request of a five-year-old girl who was like, Friggin', I like dragons. Can you make me a dragon, Saro? And Saro said, yes, we will print you an amazing metal dragon. That story has lots of cool things. The first is young women in science, which is always very important. The second part is 3D deposition printing of metal, which is amazing and very difficult. So what? And the third part, Australian science, which is always good. What other stories have you had that you sort of found interesting but we could talk a bit more about? Um, so one of the major themes that we've, like, covered in the podcast has been, like, especially from, like, the first few episodes even, has always been the sensors. So things like um, we've talked about hearing implants, we've talked about um, phones that, like, release scents every time you got, like, a text message. We talked about the tongue. We talked about, um, you know, different scents that you can smell with your nose and the fact that we can actually distinguish, like, a billion different scents um, or something like that. Um, 
So that type of stuff has really interested me. And I recently watched a <laughs> Dirty Jobs episode um, <laughs> where they went to the Jelly Bean Company, um, you know, Jelly Bellies. And they were demonstrating all the techniques they used to come up with all their different flavors. So like a machine actually breaking down and analyzing all the um, different chemical compositions of a specific taste and the fact that they could just easily replicate that. And the fact that that's basically almost making a machine version of the Birdie Bots factory. Exactly. Um, I just, I found that stuff really interesting and the fact that we can replicate tastes and scents and things like that so easily now and just breaking those down and all the different things that we can analyze there. And one of the funny stories that's connected to that we talked about, it's not quite an ignoble story, but it was an, an application of that kind of scent-based technology in for mobile phone ringtones and sort of keychains that you could get attached to your phone that would produce certain scents uh, that it would associate with people's ringtones. And we've talked about the benefits of that kind of associative memory for studying as well in some of our exam episodes. One of the other senses stories that we talked about quite recently was the fact that our brain can kind of be tricked into having different by thinking there's something behind you. So the feeling that someone is watching you or some of that kind of phantom thing moving behind you is a sense that exists in our brains. And we can kind of replicate that and mess with our ability to predict that by getting a robot to mimic the movement of our arms behind us mm -hmm. and seeing if people pick up on that and feel unnerved by it, And which, spoiler alert for the story that we talked about, they do. There's actually been some more follow-up research on that exact experiment that was recently published that shows that people with autism, people who are on the autism spectrum, um, they actually aren't as susceptible to detecting that phantom limb as other people because they sort of just pick up, oh, yeah, there's an actual robot I'm moving behind me. It doesn't feel like a ghost to them. It just feels like an actual thing, which is kind of cool as another bit of follow-up research, research on a story we talked about recently. Back on the, the jelly bean factory and all the smells, I had a supervisor who actually had a basically a smell tube collected, connected to his column. So he'd pass chemicals through. He was a coffee analyst, and he'd split up all the different chemical components of coffee. He'd actually stick his nose into the analysis machine and smell the different smells. And that was the most scientific way to do it um, because you can actually know, okay, so this molecule actually has this smell because he's actually stuck his nose into it and has smelled it. What type of smells would he, like, pick up? So, like, some of the coffees actually had, like, 300 different smells overlapping on the same dimension. Um, and so you have normal stuff, like, sort of, um, okay, stuff like chocolatey tones, nutty tones, even stuff like tobacco. But it got really weird. Like, one of the signature tastes of a very famous coffee is actually, like, burnt rubber soles from shoes. The exact same smell that melted rubber makes. And yet it's a flavour characteristic that the coffee won't taste right unless it unless has that have it. profile. And that's one of the really fascinating parts about the smell science is that to actually produce that smell, so if you open a, a packet of instant coffee, it will have chemicals specifically designed to mimic the smell of freshly roasted coffee, proper coffee. Oh, but that's not real. But it's not real. It's just designed and added in by doing the analysis in addition, like what I was talking about, and producing it. And so that's why if you open a cup of, a big canister of instant coffee, which I have at home, right, and you have that with you, smell fantastic when you open it. And then over time that smell will fade because the chemicals used to produce that smell are decaying. But, you know, that's most of the part of enjoyment of coffee is actually the smell. The big thing itself says you have to consume within six to eight weeks. And that's actually not because the coffee goes off. It's coffee powder so they get it to go off. It's but, just dry, right? Yeah. It's because the actual smell and the, will actually dissipate from it, which means that half of your enjoyment of the coffee will disappear. Well, flavour and aroma are really closely linked, aren't they? But that's right. But if, even if it's a fake-produced flavour, 
Is it any different from the real produced flavor? If it's tricking your brain? That gets into an interesting philosophical discussion about what is real and what is fake. Something, again, that we've talked about on this show a few times and explored in some of our analysis of popular culture sections and some short stories. You know what else smell makes people actually question? The fundamentals of quantum physics. Um, they don't You're going to have to run that past <laughs> Well, basically, scientists still don't know how smell works. They don't know how a molecule actually enters your nose and triggers a smell signal to your brain. It's not a lock and key receptor, so it's not like a molecule floating through the air and linking into your body. That doesn't happen. They think it's actually really complex quantum tunneling processes wow. that they don't understand. But what else is really funny is that you can have two different molecules that smell exactly the same. So, like an isomer, but it's an iso-olfactomer. That's, that's, that's a, a hilarious, but also terrible name. Well, it, it makes sense, right? Yeah. That same smell molecule. But um, the nuts thing about that, this is, these two molecules don't look anything alike. They must have some weird fundamental quantum principle that's the same, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> At the moment, our best guess is to follow our nose. That, that is a great part of science, really showing us where our strengths and weaknesses are and how we can reach the correct answer with some intuition. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This week in the two-year anniversary special of Lagrange Point, we recapped some of our stories and found out what new had been discovered about them. Things such as worms that can digest rocks and pollution, as well as bacteria that hunts for gold. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.